Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Mark Irvin. He is president and CEO at The Green Grow. We're going to talk to him about the world of big ag, the world of cannabis, really kind of looking at how cannabis is evolving and how big agriculture is influencing, providing kind of models for where cannabis cultivation may go. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about really kind of the world as it stands today and how the various kind of global political events are potentially shaping and influencing supply chains and access to materials. And in this case, the materials we need for cultivation in terms of fertilizers and things like that. Obviously, we're, we're in a world market these days and these things have an impact. So talk a little bit about uh, how that's influencing things and then ultimately where kind of where cannabis goes, you know, as we evolve and grow the business, as cannabis evolves, both kind of scientifically and politically, there's going to be interesting kind of developments and shifts in both the US and really global market for cannabis production and cannabis distribution. So excited to have this conversation, excited to uh, have Mark on. So with that, Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. Before we dive into everything that's going on in cannabis right now, would love to learn a little bit more about you, background. Give us the story. Sure. Yeah. So I basically founded Green Grow 
by going to school for archaeology, which is a totally different topic for an <laughs> agricultural company. So I studied uh, Native American archaeology and ancient agriculture, and I kind of like fell into the ancient agriculture part after like I was doing a lot of archaeology work and I was just kept going back to like, well, how did these ancient people survive in cities? Yeah. You know, a thousand years ago, because I mean, you don't have modern tractors, you don't have modern, you know, concentrated fertilizers or anything like that. So like, how did these people do it? And they thrive. So that's kind of like where like my peak of interest came from and discovering kind of ancient agricultural techniques and ancient like fertilizer and compost preparations, like came from. So basically I finished school at the University of California and I came away with some ideas about maybe how to recreate some of the ancient ag preparations that the Native Americans in both Central and South America had done about a thousand years ago. So the Mayans and the Incas and a few other a few other tribes had really, really unique amendments called Terra Pretas. And uh, so we we pretty much incorporated those into like a company to try to see if people nowadays would love to resonate with that type of fertilizer and that type of sustainable, you know, practice. So that's kind of how the company got started. And then we actually, we fell into cannabis cultivation because they just seemed to be the most open to change and open yeah. to new products and trying new things to maximize their yields. So, you know, we wanted to be obviously in lawn and garden across, you know, all 48 <laughs> states. I'm sure. um, you know, <laughs> but, and we are to some extent, but, you know, it just seems like we really fit in to the cannabis community because we provide high performance products that include both cutting edge modern technology and ancient technology. So, yeah, fascinating. And I'm, I'm curious, I mean, give us a little bit of the science, like what, what is it about these ancient techniques mm -hmm. that differ in terms of how we're currently doing agriculture? What, what is the benefit? What's the trade-off? Yeah. So most of the native American cultures had a unique understanding of like that the soil was like a living vessel, you know, yeah. back then they did, they knew that the soil was either alive or dead and they could just, they, they didn't have a microscope, but they can just tell you. So what they would always try to do. Yeah. So I get, I'm, I'm curious, like, cause this, this term gets brought up a lot. Yeah. I think we throw it, we throw it out there and I think conceptually people kind of, oh, get the idea this is living soil. But when we talk about living soil, are we talking about microorganisms, macroorganisms? Like what, what actually defines living soil? Yeah. It's going to be an ecosystem, you know? So you're going to have, you're going to have beneficial bacteria, beneficial fungi. You're going to have nematodes. You're going to have various different other types of critters that are going to be bridging the gap between microscopic and, you know, just very, very tiny. And they're going to be helping to, you know, keep a thriving ecosystem in the soil by decomposing and digesting, right? Those are the two things that are helpful. And then the third thing that they do is they produce enzymes and the enzymes help to like keep the roots clean, keep the ecosystem happy, you know? So in the case of the most famous microorganism, I think that, you know, the movie Avatar was based upon was mycorrhizal fungi. Yeah. And you know, mycorrhizal fungi, they say that if that didn't ever occur, that no other thing on land would have ever grown. So they needed, you know, they needed um, mycorrhizal fungi to connect every single living thing under the soil, including the root systems of the plants. So yeah, that is kind of what the natives didn't really know exactly what was happening, but they could see it. So they were yeah. making like compost preparations. They were making terra preta, which is like a term for like it's kind of like black gold soil, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a, that it's almost that's like how it would be translated, but like basically they would make the earth, the soil so rich 
that the microorganisms and macroorganisms would flock to it, right? Yeah. And so in South America, the reason why we even discovered this stuff was because you'd see these pockets of soils where we call them anthropocentric soils, right? Which is, means like people did this basically. Okay. I was, I was trying to parse that word out yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. And basically we, as archaeologists, we come through an area that hadn't been inhabited in like two or three, 400 years and realized that the soil is the most fertile soil of anything around for miles. And you're like, well, what happened here? And I guess what happened, you know, because I studied, I guess, what the soil was based on and then their, their techniques was they would just create their trash piles in ancient times were basically compost piles because they didn't have sure. things that wouldn't decompose. So yeah. they'd take their trash piles and they'd mix them with burnt hardwood and their the remnants of their crops from the last season. And they'd bind all those together and then they'd till them into the soil. And that would be their preparation. And so that creates a carbon-rich soil, which microbes flock to, and then obviously increases the amount of microbes per square inch of soil. So, and that's what a true living soil is. Got it. And so when people talk about, you know, kind of a, a living soil agricultural philosophy or, mm -hmm. or practice, it's really making sure that you've got the kind of right components in there that, that support that ecosystem. Yeah. Like what goes into creating... Can you turn any soil into living soil or do you need, is there like a base that you need then then you can add to it and improve it? I mean, I can, I don't know about everyone. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, basically the term I, you know, every viewer probably or listener needs to listen, think about is mimicry of nature. So when you're going to make a true living soil or a living soil, you basically think about what, think about a thriving forest and the forest floor. And if you scooped up a little bit of that soil, what it looked like, right? You'd have You'd have some decomposing humus from like wood bark or tree leaves. You know, you'd have some composting leaves and debris. You'd have some decomposing plants and animals and bones and tissue. And and then that would be mixed into like, you know, a sand and a, a clay and a loam and things like that. So you could, you could make it out of like pure earth, you know. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people want to do in the cannabis industry is they want really good drainage. So what they want to do is they want to take like a peat, moss and like a cocoa core and some perlite so it has really good drainage and then add in worm castings that have tons of microbes and carbon and then biochar and premium compost and you know plant ferments and things like that and then yeah. they add in the, the beneficial compost teas and that's how they create a living soil in their backyard yeah so so what are the pieces that you're focused on when you in terms of when you're looking at the industry and you know thinking about products and solutions yeah. that you can bring to market like what was your what was the sort of strategic approach or where did you decide to intervene Well yeah so so I mean we started intervening with like Earthshine which Earthshine's like our Terra Preta style biochar fermented biochar amendment which is a mimicry or homage to the Native Americans. And so what that the reason why we created that product was because the biggest challenge I've seen in our industry, in the cannabis industry, is that when I first walked into it, I was just, I couldn't believe how much waste there was. Everyone would throw their soil out every cycle, not not even every year, every cycle, every three, four months. And I was like, why are we doing this? Wow. So I was like, okay, if we do this the way that I was trained and the way the Native Americans did it, we could literally take this concentrate, which is the earthshine. Imagine it being the essence of the soil. You push it back into the soil that you just used for cannabis, and it puts the minerals back in balance, the microbes back in balance, you know, humix, carbons, fulvix, everything back, and it gives you drainage. So you put that into the soil, and you can recycle that soil. So that means you can go from throwing your soil out three, four times a year to using that soil for two to three years. Wow. And... 
the only caveat being is that you need to make sure that you have proper aggregation so that drainage happens, right? But like other than that, you could, as a cannabis grower, change your ROI. You know, think about if you're a large cannabis grower and you're growing in a greenhouse and you're going through 50 yards per cycle, Yeah, that's, you know, up, upwards of 200 yards per year at an average cost of a hundred bucks a yard. I mean, that's, think about that. You could literally take that right off the top. And so for me, especially being heavily into sustainability, I'm like, you guys can't keep throwing the soil away. I'm curious, what's the, what, what is the, what's the work that goes into reusing? Cause I know a lot of times it's, it's the labor cost and the logistics of reuse that become kind of a challenger on these things. So can you look at that, the real kind of operational efficiency of this? Like what, what do you need to do to be able to reuse these soils? Yeah. I mean, there's certain people that are candidates for reusing soil and some people that aren't, you know, if you're in a two gallon pot and you have thousands of them in your green in your greenhouse or indoor you might not be the best candidate but if you're you know in larger pots or you're in raised beds now raised beds would be the perfect candidate because you pull the plant out at harvest you know you reamend that spot where the plant was you plant you plant new plant b you know three inches from it right mm -hmm. and you just keep doing that and then so at, at the end of every cycle you might need to add a little bit of perlite into the into the mix or if you're not using perlite cuz some counties ban that you would just use a little bit of cocoa or a little bit of you know lava rock or something like that to to make sure there's aggregation but like really in a raised bed system which a lot of greenhouses are now are moving to you can i mean it actually be cheaper on your labor yeah to not reinstall soil and and for your bottom line, you mentioned that some places have restrictions on this. What was the like? What why? Like what are the deals? Yeah, so in Northern California, there's a lot of counties now that are banning perlite because if we go back earlier to the conversation about throwing away a lot of soil in California, especially Northern California, over the last ten plus years, you would see on in May every single semi truck is full of bagged soil. Every single one going up and down the 101 highway. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds a day so the yeah. counties are starting to realize that the soil that's getting thrown over the hillside or in the backyard of these customers the soil tries to reincorporate back into the earth but the perlite never does so what you'll see is these ghost piles all over the place of hundreds of yards of perlite and those get washed into the streams into the valleys and get blown around so a lot of counties have banned it over the last few years Got it. So they're just there. It's a larger kind of ecosystem impact that they're trying to manage. Yeah. And, and I mean, they have a unique issue that most of the country doesn't have. I mean, they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of yards of potting mix that gets di disposed yeah. of, you know? Yeah. Just because of their, there's so much production in that area. Uh -huh. that it, yeah. It concentrates it. Interesting. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So let's talk a little bit about where you see the industry going. I mean, I, I, we've obviously there's there's multiple kind of cultivation strategies, mm -hmm. you know, indoor grows, greenhouse grows, outdoor grows. Like, where are you seeing the trends? What's really influencing these trends? How are things developing from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, so so obviously we addressed the elephant in the room that there was a kind of industry correction. I guess some people in Western California called a collapse. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a correction that needed to happen because, you know, we had a couple I don't even know how much I could even say on live air, but there is some things that happened uh, starting in July of last year that were yeah. highly suspect and they were partially caused by the pandemic and other things were caused by poor policy decision-making by our government. So yeah. um, 
Yeah. So you have, okay. So in, in Oregon, you had what we call in the industry, the THC hemp fields. Okay. So people weren't being monitored because of COVID. So they just were taking their hemp permits and they were growing THC in the center of their hemp fields. Cause you couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. So that caused overproduction. They had to sell it, you know, so we got pounds for 75 to hundred dollars, which is terrible. Yeah. yeah. Glut. We had overproduction by illegal license holders in Oklahoma. Let's call it that. They're groups of 50 guys that will go and travel around to different sites and blow it out as much as humanly possible. Right. And then the other thing was that nobody really realizes that Canada was so locked down for so hard for so long that their cannabis market collapsed. And so they were under orders. If they don't sell their cannabis after a certain period of time, they have to destroy it. And and there was no one really monitoring that because they were still locked down harder than anyone was. And so what they would do is they would send a letter and email, I guess, to like the cannabis board in Canada and say, yeah, it was destroyed lot, lot number, blah, blah, blah. And they'd have a runner go down to the border and drop it all at the border of the United States and for like 50 bucks a pound. So we got flood. They would just flood the market. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a trifecta happen, which has never happened in our industry's history, you know? Yeah. So because of that. I think what we're seeing now is people were like freaking out in reaction and their the reaction was, I need to go cheaper. I need to go to straight mineral salts with the cheapest oil possible so I can make profit if I'm going to stay in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is cascading down further now where they're like, okay, wait, I can't sell this product because I cheapened the quality of it so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think what we're seeing for the next, I would say 12 months is this teeter totter, back and forth between should I grow? Should I not grow? And that's where we're at right now. So for the first time in my career, I've seen a 60% reduction in all outdoor growers, like stopping, like hard stop. So, you know, which has never happened before. So 60% of all the outdoor growers quit this year and they're not planting. Now, do you think, are they, is your sense that they, they quit, quit, or they're just, they're putting it on pause and they're waiting for the market to come back? I would say, based upon all the work I've been doing with them, about a third of them are never coming back, and okay. two-thirds of them are waiting in the winds for the inevitable return of prices to normalcy. And a third of them never coming back, I think, could be a good thing for us because you know you, you get the ones that weren't that serious out, the ones that were kind of being harsh on the environment or spraying stuff they shouldn't have been spraying or using products they shouldn't have been using, right? Yeah. And you know, because for us, we're seeing guys that are like on... The guys that are like super dedicated to like quality and the highest terpene counts possible, they're still growing because they know that their market never went away. Because if you're a discerning customer, I like to say the Hollywood elite, I guess the Hollywood elite guys, they don't care if they pay $4,000 a pound, as long as it's the best they can possibly find, you know, now everyone else is getting 500 bucks a pound right now for their outdoor you know, or for even some of their greenhouse because it was grown poorly. But yeah. I still have guys that are like, these guys are artists. Let's put it that way. They're mm-hmm. artists. Like they're, yeah. they, they are doing everything possible from A to Z to maximize the plant's health and vitality, the curing process. I mean, we can get into that, but like a lot of people don't understand how to cure, you know? Yeah. Well, and is this because the the demand for high quality cannabis is still there or is increasing or like it's how increasing the, yeah so the demand side is shifting on us as well the reason i mean i grew up in sonoma county you know so yeah. i i saw the wine boom happen i saw the 
microbrewing boom happen. Yep. And some County has all three of those with cannabis is now too. And the discerning customer has only gotten greater. I mean, like what used to sell as great weed, you know, yeah. 15 years ago, now people are turning their nose at back <laughs> and you know, We're becoming I, weed snobs now. Yeah, no, of course. And <laughs> Californians are the best to, to be snobs about things. Right. So, I mean, like we, we like our wine, we like our beer, we think it's all the yep. best. So yep. I, I think the whole country now is going to be shifting into what good weed is because they had a taste of a lot of the California high quality weed for years. And then all yeah. of a sudden the last two or three years, it shifted to like other States that were producing mass amounts of low quality weed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is really affecting their palate and they're like, okay, no, we're demanding good quality cannabis. We want the flavors to be there. We want all the compounds to be there and we want it to be safe for ingestion. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. The one thing that I could say about me and my company is that we stir the pot when it comes to like industry norms and, you know, people either love us or hate us for it. But I mean, one thing I'll, I'll get to is like so many, if people actually walked a farm, the average farm yeah. and saw how much stuff gets blown onto the cannabis as it's growing, or there's like helicopters that are aerially applying pesticides on a farm, you know, a thousand feet away to avocado farm yeah. and that drifts over on the cannabis they would demand that their cannabis producers properly cure and wash their cannabis before, you know, it yep. um, goes to market. And yeah. when we post, cause we're one of the first companies in the industry that have um, released a plant wash. So right when you cut down, the moment you cut down, you pretty much wash it and then you dunk it in fresh water and then you blow dry it and hang it. People get so <laughs> sounds like dry get, bar or something. <laughs> oh man. People get so mad or they love the idea, right? It's like yeah. a visceral yeah, reaction. They're like, Oh my God, you can't do that to your cannabis. You're like, and then you're like, here, let me show you what I just washed off. Yeah. And it's yeah. like in California, you got ash from fires getting blown in your yeah. cannabis. You get pesticides blown on there. You get the Santa Ana winds bringing the cadmium sands. Like, Oh yeah. And, yeah. and then you also have the, a lot of farmers don't have good enough eyes or they just don't care. There's a little bit of powdery mildew or mold. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm kind of like an OCD guy about things and yeah. cleanliness. And I'm like, if we don't, if we want to improve the cannabis market as a whole and be a worldwide power center for how cannabis should be, we have to be cleanly and we have to be pharmaceutical grade. And we can't just say, well, I grew up in my backyard and you know, like a bunch of powdery mildews on it, but whatever. I'm just going to smoke into my lungs, you know, I'm just yeah. not, I'm not about that. So yeah. I think we need to, as we evolve and this correction or collapse in the market right now is a perfect time, right? Because now we can rebuild yeah. the industry in a way that makes sense for the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Well, and where do you think, I mean, if, if the demand, you know, is shifting and what people want is going to continue to kind of evolve as people's, you know, taste and understanding and preferences evolve, where do you see, how do you see the kind of cultivation world evolving in cannabis? I mean, is it going to be indoor grows? Or are people going to be focused on outdoor? Like, how, how do you see it breaking down? And yeah. what do you think the future? Yeah, I, th like? I think outdoor is going to be a mixed bag for a while until it dust settles. But I mean, I would say 50% of all outdoor event end up going to fresh frozen. And just because that makes the most sense, because a lot of people just don't have the capability to properly process, cure, and clean their cannabis. I mean, processing is a huge part, you know, like, you know, if you take down a three acre field, where do you dry it? Where do you hang it? How do you process it? Right. Facilities alone. Yeah. yeah. And do we have the labor, right. To even trim it or do you, are you going to use a mechanized trimmer? Right. So I think fresh frozen is going to be much more of an option as we move forward into the future. And then we're going to go to greenhouse, like kind of a light depth greenhouse for 
what used to be the consumed outdoor flower is going to go to more into the depth greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have like indoor be the more premier, like this looks really, really nice. I want to show this to my friends. And you can do that with depth too, of course. But like, I think, I think depth's going to be the new outdoor because people just would rather have it that way. And, and a lot of extracts going to happen because you don't want to extract your indoor, right? Cause it's so nice and pretty. Right. But yeah, your greenhouse and your outdoor, you could definitely extract. And the, the interesting thing is, is that people that are in their like early thirties, maybe like 18 to like early thirties, they much prefer extract and, and pens yeah. and smoking pen uh, through using pens, which is different than probably our generation where we grew up with flour is always about flour, you know, mm-hmm. and that's shifting. So, you know, you're going to see probably a, de- a delineation in the sand of I'm a pen guy or I'm a really premium high end flower guy. And then the smallest category, but it's going to exist is going to be like the guys that are daily smokers that are going to shift into like these like pre-rolled like packs of yep. ground up cannabis that might be mid grade, might be lower than mid grade. Mm-hmm. So and I call it like the they're gonna, it's going to be a lower THC variety, I think, so that people can kind of session it, you know? Yep. And, and that's where I see most of it going because, but there's also going to be, right, that five percentile that you're going to see it once it goes legal across all 50 states, you're going to see all these celebrities and people get involved. They're going to have these really sure. nice boxes. It's going to be a subscription yep. program monthly where a really nice box of Martha Stewart or Snoop Dogg's cannabis comes in, yeah. right? And it's their strain, their brand. Here's some smoking papers. Here's this and that. And, it, and every month you're on a subscription. And it's the finest quality you could possibly have. Yeah. It's like a wine club. Yeah, right? absolutely. You get, your, you get your bottles and they, they mix it up. They give you new things, things you like. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure we cover a little bit of this, given what's going on in the world. You know, we've got uh, trade wars, we've got real wars, we've got yeah, you know, yeah. various political, geopolitical events going on that has a lot of impact on things. So how, how is this impacting kind of agriculture in general and more specifically, you know, cannabis in terms of, you know, how the market, how it's going to shape the market, how it's going to impact things? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we, we play a lot in big ag, you know, with like vineyards and, you know, pecan farms and, and, and tree nuts and all that kind of stuff. And I can tell you already that they're so short on fertilizer for, you know, agriculturally significant crops right now that the farmers are doing one of two things. Either they're pulling back on how much they're going to fertilize this year because of the cost and the inavailability of it, or they're not going to farm this year. Now let's, let's parlay that into cannabis where if large ag companies are having trouble getting fertilizer, Cannabis is the bottom of the bucket, right? In terms of like what's going to happen. So we get the crumbs of the fertilizer industry because they like, hey, we we have much higher demands than you. So salt-based fertilizers are being the most affected because Russia produced almost 30% of our salt-based phosphorus fertilizers. That that sink in. So, and then China is another 30%. So, and they've been locked down for six weeks plus and the the ports are still not open yet. So, I mean, we're not going to see... China's fertilizers come here until probably November after the season. So you're, you're going to see fertilizer prices at your local stores dramatically going higher. It's going to keep going higher until next year. I mean, maybe until next summer, if you can even get it. I mean, again, like we're, we're being rationed. Like, I, you know, when, when we're buying from our raw material That's providers, crazy. they're like, yeah. they're like, yeah, you can buy one pallet or one container. You can't you know, two years ago, they'd be like, Hey, take 10 containers, take as many as you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever, yeah. whatever you want, we'll sell you. Yeah. So 
so that that's gonna be a huge problem for cannabis market moving forward because there I, I people are already seeing it you know i get messages on instagram all the time like hey you know the store's selling your products for this much now We're like yeah they've gone up you ever heard of inflation yeah. you know yeah, like exactly. and they're and, well, and, yeah supply and demand yeah and so I think that the fertilizer costs that are basically true salt-based fertilizers, like the liquids of the world and the nice shiny white blue crystals in a bucket, those types of products, they're going to go up another 20, 30%, you know, and they've already gone up 40% since last summer. Yeah. So based upon that, I mean, cannabis farmers have to be really discerning on how they pick and choose their fertilizers and how they're going to set up their garden, because that's obviously a big cost of growing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not all the costs, but I mean, it's going to continue to be an issue for, I would say, the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And, and, and what do people do about this? I mean, do they just have to muscle I, through? Are they to be more efficient with their use of this? Are there things yeah. that you practice-wise? I mean, I think I think they should be more efficient, realizing that, like, you know, I, 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 say, I always say this to guys when I'm out talking to them at the farm. It's like, hey, you know how the bottle says one glug is what you should do? Well, don't do 10 glugs because you think that's going to give you a bigger plant. Like follow the instructions on the bottle and that'll maximize your yields. And it also make sure that you don't you know, minimize your costs. And then also, yeah. I mean, we talked about earlier in the conversation, but like we really need to take a hard look at, you know, reusing soil and making sure that we can make compost teas or like we, we need to make things that are more efficient that make the fertilizer that we're applying more efficient. And the only thing I can tell you that I know from my experience is the more microbes you pump into your soil, the more efficient your fertilizer is going to be. Okay. So yeah. If people are saying, hey, I'd like to use less fertilizer, I would say, okay, let's focus on creating more microbes in your soil because every colony of microbes will dissolve that fertilizer and feed it to your plants. Because a lot of the fertilizer gets wasted in this industry. I mean, a ton of it just runs yeah, right it just washes, washes yeah. right out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, moving to a more granular fertilizer, you know, like a more of a time release or like a top dress or like an amendment-based fertilizer would be, in my opinion cost effective because one top dress, right? You, you have the guy go through the greenhouse or whatever, top dress that fertilizer, scratch it into water. Now, every time that you water for the next week to two weeks, it's uh, hydrating that fertilizer and dripping mm-hmm. it down in the soil. The microbes are eating it, feeding it to the plant. Now with salt-based fertilizers, you're going to get one shot at it. You're yeah. going to apply it through a liquid drip or whatever, and then it's going to rinse out. And then later that day, you're going to reapply it. So yeah. I think if they really want to get into a more sustainable slash organic way of farming, this would be the year, this year or next year would be the year to do it because you, you can save yourself money and, and cut the learning curve. Yeah. Mark, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about The Green Grow, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah. So the website is thegreengrow.com with no W and then also on Instagram at thegreengrow. Um, we do Every week, we educational uh, videos and how tos and Instagram lives and things like that. So awesome. I'll make sure that all the links and the handles and everything are in the show notes so people can click through, get that. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.